grab your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter 9. We'll be back in Luke chapter 9 again. I know it's been a, a little small sections as we're going through this chapter 9. It's just because they're so full of so much information here. Uh, just a reminder, previously, last week, we were seeing that Jesus uh, had asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter confessed immediately, you are the Christ. And then Jesus began to explain some stuff, which uh, we might mention again here in a little bit today. Um, but today, what we're seeing is, is what does... What does true discipleship uh, look like? What, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and so we're going to get right into the passage uh, this, this morning. So follow along Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Father, soften our hearts and enlighten our minds this morning so that we may receive your precious holy word as your holy word. Lord, give me the grace to preach this morning this teaching of Jesus to to your people. Help us to grasp the weight of your call and the grace that you supply so that we may indeed follow you, Lord. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. So today I actually want to begin with the very last verse in our passage. uh, Verse 27 there, because people often get hung up on these statements about people going to be alive when they see the kingdom come. Jesus says here, there there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the the kingdom of God. And and it's easy to get hung up and think, well, Jesus hadn't returned yet. And and so we must know that that's not what he's talking about here. He he might be referring to uh, the very next passage where we see the transfiguration of Jesus, where his his divine glory is shown to his apostles. Uh, But but it's more likely more than that, that that Jesus is actually referring to this this combination of events, including his his resurrection and his ascension, and and when the Holy Spirit comes at at Pentecost. Uh, Because in those things, the the kingdom of God is inaugurated, and and, and they're able to see the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean it's been fully fulfilled at this point, but it is inaugurated at that point. Uh, So with that in mind, let's uh, actually look at the rest of this passage. Now, uh, I, I want us to see, first of all, that, uh, remember, i catch you up. Last week, uh, Jesus' statement uh, uh, gave this statement of what we are, or what he is going to experience uh, as a result of being the Christ, right? All these things that he must do. And, and this was directed at Peter specifically, because Peter's the one who responded and said Jesus is the Christ specifically. Um, so now he's speaking to all the disciples. But, but in that, Jesus gives this roadmap this, this idea, listen, here's where I'm going, uh, right? He's listing it off. You remember what it was? There's going to be suffering. Uh, there's going to be rejection. There's going to be death. And eventually there's going to be resurrection. Now, this is not the ideal 
kind of road trip, is it, right? Uh, not the kind of thing you want to see. A friend comes to you and says, hey, uh, I have this plan. We are going to be miserable with great suffering for a year or so, and, and then we're, we're going to go to these people, and they're going to hate us, and they're going to reject us, and they're going to yell some nasty things at us and throw rocks at us. Eventually, we're going to get killed. That's in the plan. Uh, and we'd love for you to join us. We're leaving tomorrow morning. Let me know if you're in. You know, bring what you need. Uh, that, that's, that's not what you want, right? But, but that's the kind of call that Jesus here is, is actually giving uh, when he's saying to follow him after he's just laid out all those things. That's where he's going, right? You might not know that, though. And the reason you might not know that is because many of us, when we first heard the gospel, we, we, we were only told the wonderful things of the gospel. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he does. But, but what do we mean by that? <clears throat> does a wonderful plan for our life, is there a place in that statement for, for suffering? Is there a, a place in that statement for rejection from others? Or, or even death if it comes to that? I mean, can, can those things be part of God's wonderful plan for our life? You see, more honest evangelism will, will tell people that following Jesus is wonderful. It truly is wonderful, but it also might be uncomfortable at times. It also is going to go through some, some, some rough times. It's going to make you, you feel very odd that you're not going to fit in at times. You see, even knowing that, though, Jesus is worth it. And, and, and from an eternal perspective, you'd be a fool not to go all in with Jesus. But it's not going to be all smooth sailing. See, we need to be honest when, when telling people about Christianity and, and parents, this goes for discipleship as well. We need to be honest when we're raising our children that uh, in the faith, you know, you, you're going to be different. There, there are times you might lose friends because of your faith in Christ. And that's okay. That, that's okay. Embrace that as being a part of being a disciple of Christ. And so then Jesus goes on here and he uses these three verbs to, to give instruction to, to anyone is, who, who is to be a disciple of his. These, these three verbs. And the first verb is, is deny. He says to deny self. Uh, and the Greek term here carries this idea of, of just forgetting yourself entirely. To, to not be concerned uh, about your own desires. It's just this, this selflessness. See, self-denial is, is, is the major theme of this whole passage. If you really like, pull back and, and look at it, you're going to start seeing that, that self-denial is, is over and over just, just the statement here, which is interesting because it is also an absolute affront to our current cultural teaching. You, you know it is. In our time in history where, where the mantra is, that, and you see it all the time, right? You do you. Tell me I'm not the only one who hears that. Hey, you do you. You do whatever you want to do. And, and so in a world where that's the cultural mantra, right? if there were ever a cultural heresy, it's what Jesus says here. Deny yourself. You say no to a desire that you might have. That sounds bizarre, culturally. Uh, Matthew Henry once wrote, Self-denial is the first lesson in Christ's school. And it is quite literally the first lesson that Jesus gives here when he's talking about discipleship. Um, John Calvin goes a bit further than Matthew Henry uh, saying this, self-denial is the sum of the Christian life. 
And he can say this because of this radical call of Jesus to abandon everything and to follow him. You see, we, we live in this world, and it's interesting, because in, in, in a world that is obsessed with self, protect yourself, love yourself, promote yourself, satisfy yourself, preserve yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, believe in yourself, serve yourself, care for yourself, prioritize yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Jesus' call is fundamentally opposed to that cultural man- mantra we've already mentioned. You do you. Now, to be fair, that's a beloved cultural proverb because uh, of this false but common worldview that says that, that this life that you live from the time your heartbeat begins to the time it ends, that's all there is. Right? A, a false but common idea. And, and if this life really is all there is, then it makes sense to live for your own pleasure, to seek wonderful life experiences to make that your priority. See, if this life is all there is, then it would be wisest to, to, to take the least painful routes almost always, right? Except when it's going to get you somewhere uh, that you want to get, some personal success that requires difficult time. But since we know that life is more than the 70 or 80 or 90 years that we are currently level, living, the self-denial that Jesus calls us to here begins to make perfect sense. And let's be clear, Jesus himself knows self-denial. But by coming in the flesh uh, as a man, Jesus de- denied himself the glories of heaven. By, by keeping the law perfectly, Jesus denies himself of, of, of various temporary pleasures that are connected to sin. But by being nailed to the cross, he denied himself a painless life. And, and by taking the wrath that you and I deserve, he denied himself for a time the intimacy that he has with the Father. So then, self-denial is important. But how exactly do we deny ourselves? It, it, I mean, it, it certainly includes what you've probably figured out, right? Not partaking in sins that you might want to indulge in. Like saying no to pornography when you desire to partake in it. Like, for, uh, foregoing ungodly romantic relationships, I- even if you desire them strongly. Y- you know yourself, right? You, you know yourself. You, there are things in your life, or are there things in your life, that you are unwilling to deny yourself, or, or that you just feel powerless to do so? I- if so, if, if that's you, I-, I want you to know this. Your feelings are wrong in this case. It's important that we learn to embrace Romans 6.11. Let me read it to you. It says this. It says, you must, and this is important, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You, that's reality, no matter what your feelings might say. You are dead to sin. And, and that means that because of the Holy Spirit, because of Christ, uh, all that he's accomplished on the cross, because of that, there is no temptation that, that you are truly powerless to resist. Don't, don't buy into that. There is no temptation you're powerless to resist. What, what it means to deny ourselves is further explained here in this second verb. As, as Jesus says to take up, that's the verb, take up our cross daily. Simply put, this is a call to lay down our lives. You see, you know, see what Jesus is really getting at here is that to, to be a disciple, we must place our life, our will in complete control of God. 
willingly. That means we're to renounce anything that challenges or supersedes our allegiance to God and and, and to follow Jesus. And that also means that, that we are going to encounter all sorts of suffering in our life from time to time. You, you, ever, you ever follow someone down a trail and, and you're seeing them go and you think, okay, whatever just happened to them is also going to happen to me if I keep following them. I'm going to have to go through the mud if I keep following them. I'm, I'm going to go through those thorns if I keep following them. This, the, this summer there was a, a path that we walked at, 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 in Lakeside, this place in Ohio we were at, and there's this mama bird that would just dive bomb people. And I can remember seeing it happen ahead of me and thinking, if I keep going, I'm going to get dive bombed. And you just know it's going to happen to you, right? That, that's the idea of, of carrying our cross and following Jesus here. Because if it happened to Jesus, it, it may happen to us as well. That's why Jesus himself in John fifteen twenty says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's expected. The South African pastor, Norval Geldenhuis, or pronounced something similar to that, once said, uh, the cross is not, not the ordinary human troubles and sorrows, such as disappointments, disease, death, poverty, and the like, but the things which have to be suffered, endured, and lost in the service of God. And so we take up our cross when we willingly bow our will to the will of God, no matter the cost. See, all of Jesus' disciples included, uh, everyone here who is a disciple of Christ uh, has to learn to say what Jesus later says to his father in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, when he says this, Not my will, but yours be done. If you remember the context, Jesus is, is talking about going to the cross. And, and there's a part of him that thinks, I, I don't want to do that. That's going to be suffering. Right? It, it, it's not the ideal thing. It's not a vacation. And so he has this statement, not my will, but yours be done. And he's talking to the Father. And see, Jesus can say that because he genuinely loves his Father. He knows that the Father has this for his good, ultimately, and the good of his people. You see, self-denial and and self-control, it's it's not just exerting your will, but it's about, as Augustine put it, um, the right ordering of our loves. The right ordering of our loves. We, we don't just reject our feelings, right? We, we, that's not it. We, we, we have to replace them with stronger passions. The, and the more we look to Jesus in the Scripture, the more that we fall in love with Christ in the Scripture, the easier it becomes for, uh, for us to live for His glory and not for self. To, to see the other side. Now the third verb that Jesus uses is, is follow. Uh, that's the verb. Follow me is the statement that He says here. And... Um, so the other day I was picking Beckham up from cross-country practice and we found ourselves behind one of his classmates as we were uh, cross-country mates. I don't know what you call that. Uh, as anyway, as we were pulling out of, the, out of the parking lot and we decided we're just going to kind of follow them because they started going the same direction we were going and we're going a, a direction towards our home following streets we don't usually take just so that we could follow them. Uh, and we creepily followed them a very long way uh, but then they took this turn that would not have gone to our house. It's not where we wanted to go. And, 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 you know, it was not home. And so in that case, we actually stopped following them and we went our own way. So the question is, is this. Were we ever really following them if we were unwilling to keep following them? Or were we just going our own way 
because it happened to conveniently overlap with their way for a while. And I, and I ask this because many people, maybe even many of us here today, follow Jesus a lot like that. We'll follow Jesus as long as he's going in the same direction that we've already decided we want to go. As long as it doesn't lead us off the path that's already kind of where we want to go. And, and see, following Jesus often means going where we don't want to go. It means loving people we might not want to love. It means serving people we don't want to serve. It means giving of ourselves, giving of our resources that we may not want to give. See, following Jesus at times puts us in, in uncomfortable situations, and, and this is happening more and more as the world around us changes, and we're finding that God's word remains the same. True, but remains the same. And so if we're truly following Jesus, we are going to find ourselves feeling like weird outsiders when we're in our places of work, when we're in our schools, when we're out in social situations, involved in sports, whatever it is. Weird outsiders, and that's okay. It's okay. Jesus, before his ascension, was also a weird outsider. Not the first description you'd want to give of your Savior, but, but that was the way he engaged with the culture, in many ways, was the weird outsider. Now, you're going to hear insults directed at you for holding biblical ethics on sex and relationships, on creation, all, all, all sorts of things. And the better that we just embrace this reality that we are going to be weird outsiders, the more prepared we're going to be to, to fully follow the Lord when those moments come. So I'll ask you, are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what that means for you? You notice verses 24, 25, and 26, they all begin with this word for. They're, they're building off of uh, verse 23, uh, these instructions for discipleship. And in verse 24, we, we, we see this paradoxical statement uh, that if you save your, save your life, you'll lose it. And if you lose your life for the sake of Jesus, you'll save it. Uh, you see what's going on here? It's, it's a play on words, on that word life. And in one sense, the word life is about this present life as we tend to think of it. And in the other sense, it's about eternal life. And that's kind of how the play works. And so he's saying, if we selfishly live for this present world, focusing always on career or obtaining new possessions or experiences and entertainments, if, if that's how we live, it's because we don't have eternal life. And, and if we give up living selfishly in this present life and instead are living for Christ, it's because we have received eternal life. The, the Apostle Paul talks this way, too, using some of the same phrases, in fact. In uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 9, he says this. He, he explains what it means to live like Jesus uh, in the way that we see in verses 24 and 25 of our passage. So in Philippians 3, we read this. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The sake of Christ. He goes on. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul is following Christ. And he says of all these worldly values, I, I count everything as loss. And this week, I watched a girl walk out of my daughter's school wearing a t-shirt that's uh, written across it. All I want is everything. All I want is everything. And here's Paul saying, I count everything as loss. 
It's just these, these two different value systems uh, that, that are going on. And, and that's what verse 25 here is all about. Look at it. It says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, you know there's only one right answer to that question. Nothing, right? It, it profits him nothing to gain the entire world if he loses or forfeits himself. But it is easy to lose perspective on things. It, it is easy to fail to understand true value or just get it wrong in all aspects of this. Not, not too long ago, there was a, someone who bought a, a painting at a garage sale. They bought it for 50 cents because they actually negotiated it down from a dollar, uh, right? You can imagine that going on. And, and they negotiated it down, and the painting later sold at an auction for $10,000. The person buying it clearly didn't know, or you wouldn't negotiate down from a dollar. The person selling it clearly didn't know. And in 2007, a New York family purchased a white bull at a garage sale just to put stuff in. So, some years later, they actually discovered it was from a Chinese dynasty, and it auctioned for $2.2 million. And, and yet, they, these are all financial things. There, there is something more valuable than money, and you already know the answer. Your soul. But we don't always live like that, do we? we? We don't always consider our souls the most valuable thing we possess. See, th this world's like a shop where a thief snuck in at night and just changed all the tags on everything. And so uh, some things are more, some things are left, uh, less. And, and, uh, you know, and, and so that we naturally consider very valuable things as worthless. And we often consider worthless things as very valuable. But Jesus is saying here, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by what the price tags show. Jesus is showing us what true value is. See, gaining the whole world, right? That's, that's a hard concept for us to get our head around. It's one of those ones you kind of hear and you just kind of float on by it. But I want you to think for just a moment. What, what would gaining the world look like for you? For you, I mean, like, is it an achievement? Is it success of some sort? Is it the, the praise of some mass of people? Is it money and time for you to go travel exotic places? Is it, is it luxury clothes or incredible brand new gadgets? Is it, is it owning your very own football team? Right? I mean, you, you kind of got to get into what, what would be the one thing that would be like gaining the world for you? You know, whatever it is, worldly speaking, what's your heart's strongest desire? Now, I do want to say this. You could actually achieve this that you're thinking of, most of you. I don't know how crazy yours is. You could also do it while following Jesus. It doesn't mean these things can't happen in your life. But, but if Jesus goes one way and your dream goes another way, we must be willing to follow Jesus. You see, in verse 25, that word loses, right? In the Greek, it's indicating total loss, absolute total loss. And the significance of that is that Jesus is putting this in the context of final judgment. J.C. Ryle, over 100 years ago, commenting on this passage, said, said, to lose or to forget oneself is to lose God and Christ and heaven and glory and happiness for all eternity. It is to be cast away forever, helpless and hopeless in hell. See, the whole point is that to lose 
your soul is to lose the most valuable thing you possess. Maybe the only valuable thing you possess. And so live in a way that reflects the value of your soul and also the souls of everyone around you. You know, Jim Elliott's famous phrase is, is helpful here. He, he has that phrase. He, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's an interesting that that was his phrase since he ends up being martyred. He ends up being killed for his faith for people that he's going out and sharing the gospel with. Many of them later do come to faith. Um, <clears throat> but I want you also to know that we can give our lives by, in other ways. We don't have to become martyrs like Gemelia. We, we can give our lives by sacrificing time for others or money for the sake of others or kindness to those in trouble or by raising children, our own, and others that need it to, to love God. Uh, raising them to love God, or by sharing the gospel with those who need it, but who are also very likely to reject you for sharing it with them. And listen, it, it, it's okay. That, that's living for Christ. The more we can embrace that rejection will come, the stronger, the easier it will be to live for the glory of Christ. Now, I want us to look at verse 26, and then we'll finish up here today. Here Jesus tells them, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in, in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, first of all, the reason he says this is because we do have a natural inclination to be ashamed of Jesus and to be ashamed of the Bible's teaching. And, and that natural inclination, that, that's why he's saying this, right? Uh, but you likely already know this. You know this from experience. And, you know, have, have you ever tried to, to, to just kind of hide the fact that you're a Christian in a certain situation? Because you, you kind of know how they're going to respond to you. Or, or you ever found yourself embarrassed to pray in a public setting just because it looks weird to people? You, you ever felt that dread when, when someone asks you your view on, on an ethical situation and, and you know that your, your biblical view is going to be offensive or looked down upon or something of that? You ever feel that dread? And someone says, you know, uh, Rob, what do you think of same-sex marriage? Or they ask, you know, Alexia, do you, do, you really, do you really think that Muslims aren't going to heaven just because they don't believe in Jesus? Or when they ask, you know, John, do you, do you really believe a wife should submit to a husband like Ephesians says? Really? I mean, I mean, these are the kind of questions that we're talking about, right? Where, and here Jesus is saying, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you at the final judgment. Now that, that sounds really harsh. And, and so let me, let me try to unpack the Greek for you here. In the Greek, what this, what this says is this. It says, it just means this. It means, if you're ashamed of Jesus and his words, he'll be ashamed of you at the final judgment. The Greek didn't make it any better, did it? That's what it says. There's no getting around this being the words of Christ. And if you're like me, when I first started getting into this, you know, really digging in this week, I hear these words and I think that's terrifying. If you think these words scare you, imagine how the disciples felt right the, the 12 when when they remember these words of Jesus during his trial and his crucifixion and afterwards and they realize we've been ashamed of Jesus 
Can you, can you imagine, right? At the time, none of them took up their cross. At the time, none of them followed Jesus. At the time, they were all ashamed and concerned only for their own self in those moments. Peter especially, or at least Peter's recorded in such a way that we get to see all his deals, uh, all his situation. Remember, God, though, preserves Peter's life. He doesn't die in that moment. He, he makes it through that time uh, of ashamedly, outrightly denying Christ his Savior. And the reason that's significant, what I want you to see is, is the way God's sovereignly working there is because uh, Peter's story, his denying and his being ashamed of Jesus, that's not the end of Peter's story, is it? Christ restores him, forgives him, puts him into a place of leadership. And Peter is bold from that point on. He lives the rest of his life boldly unashamed of Jesus. See, after Jesus' resurrection in Acts 5, Peter and the others, they had been preaching Jesus, and they get in trouble. They're before the leaders, and, and they're told, you know, don't do this anymore. Bad things will happen to you. And um, that's the Jewish leaders telling them. And, and that's the moment in their lives again, right? This is where they see it again, where, where one way is to follow Jesus, and the other one, well, that would get you out of some trouble with these people. And, of course, they uh, follow Jesus, and they... They share the gospel anyway, and when they are later beaten, physically beaten for telling people about Jesus, we're told in Acts 5.41, this, this is their response. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Christ. Re- rejoicing. Not because they like suffering, right? Not because they're, they're just beatings are awesome. That's not what this is saying here. They, they, they're rejoicing because... God had given them the strength, the power to follow him, even in this moment when they knew that they were going to be getting these beatings. So listen, if, if you've been living ashamed of Jesus, you need to know that can change today. That the Holy Spirit can empower your commitment and your effort to no longer be ashamed of Jesus and to wholeheartedly follow after him. I know on some level these are some radical things, and everyone's life is a little different. It's hard to apply this. You, you know what this looks like in your life. If you don't, I'm going to be praying that the Lord will, will, will reveal it to you, where there are times when you just need to follow Christ no matter the consequences. Now, before we close, I, I do want to clarify something here. It, Jesus is not saying here, if you deny yourself, if you're unashamed of me, then this action, right, of denying yourself and being unashamed of me. He's not saying that these actions or these works in any way earn salvation. That's not the message here. He's saying, if you are a true disciple of mine, if that is true, then you will learn to deny yourself and to follow me. In other words, self-denial and being unashamed of Jesus, these are not conditions for salvations. For salvation. They're more like a litmus test as to whether your faith in Christ is true. And so evaluate where you're at. Later today, tomorrow morning, sometimes sit down with this passage, read it again, read it prayerfully, and, and no matter what you learn about yourself, take it to the Father in prayer and, and commit to, to be all in for the sake of, of His glory and, and for the sake of your own soul. So to summarize, in this passage, our Lord says, Come, deny yourself daily, Die with me daily. Come follow me daily. Live for me daily. And I will satisfy you eternally. 
in a way that your finite mind cannot even begin to imagine. For brothers and sisters, let's not waste our life pursuing what has no lasting value. Let us, let us go all in with Christ and the strength of the Spirit that He provides. Let us pray. Father, You know us. You know us to the very core, even better than we know ourselves, and we confess that we do seek to gain the things of this world. We do seek the praise of men and women, and this drives us at times to be ashamed of the suffering way of Jesus. In these ways, we stand guilty, but we, we do not hide from you. We, we do not turn from you. We go to you, and we ask that not only for your forgiveness, but for transformation. We ask that you would empower us for self-denial in ways that maybe we've not experienced yet. We ask that you would empower us for, for taking up our cross and, and giving ourselves completely to your will. Empower us to follow you through the valleys of a sinful world and until one day we come into your fully realized kingdom of glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.